0: Good morning. morning. Um, Thanks for the introduction, John. My name is Dave Hare, and this is my lovely wife, Stacy. And we are your missionaries to Cameroon, Africa, which is in Central Africa on the west side. And we have four kids that are in the back there. You can see their picture there, Caden, Makaira, Elias, and Zoe. And uh, I grew up in Colorado, and my wife grew up here in Modesto, and uh, we have been working in Cameroon since 2014. We were here four-ish years ago, in which, during that time, we got to tell you a bit about who we are and uh, what we were doing on our first term in Cameroon, which was learning the Kwakum language and their culture as well. And um, we, uh, then, after we left here again, we went back to Cameroon for four years, and uh, we are going to be going back to Cameroon in a year, so we're here in America for one full year, and uh, we're going to be spending most of that time uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, but also traveling around to visit churches. Um, Stacy and I met at um, uh, Master's College, which is in Southern California, and in, uh, it's kind of a long story, but the Lord led us to pursue missions, and before we ended up going to the field, we went to seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, which is why we'll be going back there to visit. And um, we decided while we were in seminary, we wanted to do Bible translation. And um, we had a heart to bring the Bible to people who don't have it. And we learned while we were in seminary that there are around 7,000 languages in the world today. And only 9% have the entire Bible uh, in their language. So we had a burden. We wanted to bring the the Word of God to people who don't have it. Uh, But we also had a burden because we didn't feel like... Just delivering Bibles, translating, giving Bibles out was our goal as missionaries, but we felt like our goal was planting churches that could be led by nationals and be self-sustaining so that not only would they have the Word of God, but the Word of God would be taught. And so that's why we ended up with World Team, which is a church planning organization, Um, but our main job is to translate the Bible. So 2014, we moved to Cameroon. Um, You saw a picture of our house up there. We can look at it again. Um, That's where we live. We live in a small village in uh, the east region of Cameroon, and uh, we work, as I said, with the Kwakun people. It's a people group of about 10,000 people, and um, last time we were here, we told you all the work we had done to help them to develop a writing system because they had a spoken language but no writing system, so we did a lot of work, and then when we went back, uh, we started uh, teaching literacy classes. We helped them develop their writing system, taught literacy classes, and we started translating the Bible, so this picture up here. Next one is a, a picture of us working on Bible translation. And um, when we decided we wanted to, to pursue Bible translation, we thought we wanted them to get we want the Kwakum people to know Jesus. That's the main thing. So we want to start with the New Testament. But as we were there learning their language and their culture, we realized that basically they have no understanding of the Bible at all, including the Old Testament. And then as we started to think about and talk about the New Testament, we realized it's really hard to understand the New Testament if you don't understand the Old Testament at all. And just as an example, one time I was speaking to some men who were church; These people go to church. Had even some of them gone to church their whole lives. And I asked them, when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards the waters of the Jordan, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I said, in what way is Jesus like a lamb? And in the Kwakum language, you say lamb, you say child sheep. Uh, and the word for sheep is the same for goats. And they tend to think more about goats than sheep. So uh, basically, when they're hearing this, they're hearing that Jesus is a child goat. And so in what way is Jesus a child goat, right? And they just had no idea. These guys who had been in church had no idea why, why would you call Jesus... A child goat right and you can't really understand what he meant by that if you don't understand the Old Testament and when you look in the Old Testament you see that God in several places chose lambs as a way of taking the guilt of the people the sins of the people so that they might be saved and that those ideas in the Old Testament were pointing forward to Jesus but if you just jump into the New Testament you don't understand any of that and so um, at that point we thought well they need to know the Old Testament but are we going to translate the entire Old Testament before we get to the New Testament? Um, and what we end up doing, Stacy found a curriculum that was called uh, Building on Firm Foundations, which is the next slide. And what this does is it chooses select stories out of the Old Testament to help people understand the overall thrust of the Old Testament so that they can then understand the New Testament and who Jesus is. So it goes from Genesis to the Ascension, picking out select stories all the way throughout. For instance, creation, the fall, Uh, The story of Cain and Abel, Babel, Noah, those stories. And so what we've done is we've started translating those stories with a group of Quakum translators. And there's about 80 of them total. And we've gotten almost 30 done now. So we've made some good progress through that. And one thing that is astonishing that I wouldn't have imagined would happen is that people have started getting saved. So we're in the Old Testament, we haven't even gotten to Jesus yet, and God is already saving people. And even more than just saving people, he is actually transforming their lives so that they're unrecognizable now to the people that we met years ago. And what this has really driven home for us as Bible translators, as Christians, is the truth that we find in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which is that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, And training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we as Christians have this amazing resource that God has given us, the Word of God, which is breathed out by God. It's inspired, some translations say, this is the Word of God, and he gave it to us for the purpose that we would be taught and rebuked and corrected and that we would be trained in righteousness so that we can go out and do the works that he's asked us to do. But there's thousands of languages in the world that don't have this word of God that we have. They don't have it in a way that they can understand it. And um, we are excited to be able to help the Kwakum people have that, to have a resource for them that God has given them that will dramatically and has already started dramatically changing their lives. Um, and one of the biggest things that we've seen on this term has been that God takes his word and he confronts people, he rebukes people, he corrects people, and he corrects the culture that that word is speaking into. So over and over again, we've seen aspects of Kwakum culture that need to be corrected, that need to be rebuked by the word of God. And Stacy's going to share uh, the way that God has transformed the lives um, of one family that we've been able to work with.
1: We don't know exactly how long the Kwakum people have been around, but it's likely a very, very long time without, and they've been without God's Word. Some people there do understand French, which is one of the government languages spoken in Cameroon, and so they are able to understand it a little bit. Some people are even able to uh, read in French, which helps, but they don't, they miss the deeper spiritual things. Of Scripture. They don't get it when it's in French. Um, and now where God's Word is not present, we've seen that oftentimes God uses dreams to communicate with people. For instance, there's a young man who grew up as an orphaned orphan in our village. And because he was an orphan, he was never able to attend school, although he really, really wanted to. And we can listen to a video now of... Um,
2: what his childhood dream was. <laughs> Pam pamu ito kwa kumi shema wa nyeshimal nyimbeko nyige ko lemota le nyi nje na sambujime shukul le na sambu ma realizema mugwe.
1: Hello. okay, there we go. So that is ko. And um, as you guys saw in the video, he had never been to school, but he dreamt all the time of him with a little backpack on going to school, but he could never go. And Ko was one of the guys that we hired to make bricks to build the Translation and Literacy Center. And that is where that we teach people how to read and write in their language in Bakum, where we translate the Bible and where we teach. Um, and when Co started, you heard this in the video, but when Co started making the bricks, here he is right there, um, when he started making the bricks for a translation center, that dream stopped, and he was convinced that the fulfillment of that dream was found inside the school that he was building. So God uses dreams, but dreams are not the way in which God saves people, God saves people through the Word of God. God saves people through their faith in Jesus Christ. And so Ko's dream was drawing him to the translation center where he would later hear the Word of God and be saved. And we'll tell you a lot more about Ko in just a minute, but I want to give you a little bit more background. So we actually knew Ko a bit before we hired him to start making bricks for the Literacy and Translation Center because he was dating a woman named Mommy. So during our first term on the field, I met mommy, here she is here in the market, and she was very abrasive. And she would constantly put pressure on me, high pressure to buy fish from her. And she also demanded gifts from me and was just a very difficult person to love. Not only that, but a year or two later, she moved into a house right by mine. Um, and she became our neighbor. So not only was there high-pressure fish sales, which continued at my home, but she also started to, um, pretty much every day, ask me if she could work in our, in our home to clean and to um, cook for us. And I just told her no. I just told her no over and over again. And then um, we left on home assignment, and I wasn't Super sad to leave that relationship. Came here, saw you all, and um, Mommy just kept living there. And um, then we came back from home assignment. Mommy was still living there, still asking me for a job all the time. And I still just kind of said no. And then one night, I went out into my backyard, and her house was a little bit behind ours. And I heard what sounded like a really violent fight um, going on. In mommy's home. And I'm sad to say, but um, just violent fighting and screaming are very common where we live. The next day I realized that this fight was different because I heard that mommy's blind father had been murdered by her stepbrother. So we went to the funeral, which was in the home, and I was very surprised to see that mommy really clung to my side the whole time. I thought to myself, your family's here, people who are like you are here, who know all the customs, I'm kind of a foreigner, I'm still learning your language, why are you clinging to me, why is my presence kind of bringing you comfort, and it was then that I realized that mommy saw me as a friend, and she would later say that she didn't have true friends, and it was then that God really started to soften my heart to her, um, that she was Um, abrasive and maybe kind of rude because that's all that she knew Um, and so God softened my heart to her and so we hired her to come work in our home each day and so I told her okay well we're gonna learn to read and write together and in Bakum she agreed and I also said we're gonna study the Bible each morning together and she agreed and was very eager to learn what the Bible said So as we study the Bible together, we started in Genesis and just continued along very slowly. Um, Mommy believed everything. Mommy believed that there's a God who created the heavens and the earth. Mommy believed that God really did flood the world because of man's sin. Mommy really believed in Jesus Christ, that he died and was resurrected and is coming again. And at that point, the work of discipleship began. And so we started to really work the word of God into her life. I saw what the Bible did to mommy. It rebuked her. It corrected her like it does us. Until the point where she said, before I heard the word of God, I just lived like an animal. I just followed every desire of my body. But now I follow the word of God. Now I know what God wants for me. So that's mommy. And at that time, she was pregnant. And her boyfriend was often angry, often drunk, often violent with her. uh, To the point where Dave had to tell him, you mess with her, you mess with me. And he kind of backed off. But he was just a really, really violent person. And he was unwilling to come and hear the Bible. He's unwilling to go to church. And so mommy just went home every day and she gently taught him what she was learning in the Bible. And me and mommy, we prayed for her boyfriend, whose name is Co, daily. And we were eager to see what God was going to do.
0: Yeah. So if you didn't catch it, that's the same Co that you just saw um, talking about his dream, uh, which uh, might be clear now. The Lord answered the prayers that Mommy and Stacy were praying, and Co uh, got saved. He started to come to church. Uh, he stopped uh, getting drunk all the time. He stopped doing drugs. He um, and he, he his life completely changed. I mean, like I've said before it's like he's a new person and he really is he's a new creature god has made him into a new creature um, he was violent before and he, he even told me he would get fired from jobs he would get jobs around town doing construction he'd get fired because of his anger and uh, he is he's one of the most gentle kwaku men that i know now the lord has dramatically changed him at the time right after he got saved he was still living with mommy and that's just part of the culture there you don't get married really you just a man will, will bring a girl into his house, and they'll live together and have kids. And if they get tired of each other, they'll they'll leave. Um, and that's how they were living. Um, and through reading the Bible, through studying what God's will was for their lives, Co and Mommy decided that they should separate until they were able to get married, which for the culture there, I mean, everyone, Co told me that his friends and his family just said, you're absurd. Like, this is insane. Not just that they would separate. They're like, you already have a kid. Why would you separate, right? Um, But even that they would want to get married at such a young age, told me his uncle, who he grew up with his uncle because his parents had died, his uncle would, would t- sit down all the boys and just brag about how many women he'd slept with when he was young. And uh, he just said, that's what being young is for. And so the fact that they would be pursuing marriage, the fact that they would separate until they're married, is just was culturally shocking to the people that was around them and absurd. I mean, they mocked him. And uh, another big challenge um, to the whole process is that in Cameroon they, they do what's called the bride price, which means if you want to formally marry a woman, you have to, you have to come with gifts for the family. And uh, this is a picture, it's kind of hard to see, but that's Ko, after he worked for a year, to save up enough money to get all the things that her family required uh, in order to pay the bride price. So the culture just piles all these things up in the way of honoring the Lord in this way. But God had changed Ko and Mommy so much that they were willing to do what it took to honor the Lord with their relationship. And even after Ko brought all these things to Mommy's family, they changed the price and said, no, we want more. Um, They just continually put stumbling blocks in the way. And that's what we found that culture does all cultures in the world, they put stumbling blocks in our way to honor the Lord. And we need the word of God there to correct us and to rebuke us and to correct and rebuke our culture so that we know what God wants. And then God gives us the strength and the ability to honor Him and to follow Him even when it's difficult because of our culture. And so Co um, and Mommy, they decided, you know, we're going to get married. He'd done the bride price, but they wanted to be married as Christians and they wanted to be baptized first. And so uh, they went and got baptized. Uh, our pastor at our church is a Cameroonian man who baptized them in this river. And then uh, not long after that, they got married, which is the next slide. Um, they got married in our translation center that Ko had built um, in, in honor to the Lord and it was such a joyous day. And they were worried that mommy's family was gonna have a fit because they were never satisfied with the bride price. And it's happened in the past where families will come out and, and um, cause a, a fight at the wedding because they're not happy with the bride price. And they were concerned about that, but we prayed about it. And they, some of her family came and they rejoiced with us. And it was just a wonderful day of, of honoring the Lord in marriage, which is something the Kwakum people just don't do. Ko and Mommy are the only, I think the only couple I know of, Kwakum couple, that both of them love the Lord and are seeking to honor the Lord um, that have been married. So um, it's just amazing, again, to see how God has transformed Ko and Mommy into new creatures. The Ko works hard and serves his family, loves his family. Another aspect of the the Kwakum culture is that men don't help out with anything at home at all. So both the, the man and woman will go to the field and work hard all day. Then they come home and the man lays down and the woman takes care of the kids and makes the food and all of that. Um, and so in our Bible studies we've been doing, we've been um, confronting that, that cultural value and just saying the Lord wants men to love their husbands. And part of that means, I'm sorry? Wives. I'm sorry, the Lord wants men to love their wives. I'm gonna talk about that at the end. Um, Just as an example, one day I was on my front porch and there were a bunch of kids around. There's always a ton of kids in our yard. And I was like, well, I need to go in and cook dinner. And a little boy looked up at me in horror and said, men don't cook food. Women cook food. And I went in and I had been browning some onions and I brought it out and I said, do you see what I'm doing here? And he goes, you're cooking food. You know, it's just, it's the, to the culture, that's shocking, but now Co's doing it. He's, he's washing dishes, he's helping out, he's doing things so that his wife isn't overburdened by all these things, and the only thing that could have done that is the Word of God. The only thing that could have changed him, the only thing that could have confronted his culture that he would have even been able to see that he should love his wife in that way is the Word of God, because the Word of God is every scripture, all scripture is useful, and it corrects, and it changes And um, we just, as we were leaving, we did these interviews. You just saw one there. But one of the interviews, we asked Ko um, what his dreams are looking forward now. So before, you could've asked him his dreams, and I don't even know what he would've said. But I want you guys to see what his dreams are now,
2: looking forward shenje na bibel fe ko showo kwa kumpe le kee vek tanje bibel ne kwa kum ajididawe pambugo nkoku na ye shen shangutingting ne te sheni shen na ni ni chiche shilabengeke oshukulu gomna kumfo ku lawe ye shilabenge shashukulu gomna ye jitheshi ye mbanda tanje okidombo neteshe semo wa mji jinani me patafon na yekle omishone ombushambo nile nanyi peundo wetinji ninji nkumukongwa kumbonto mundeng kia gnrsc aji anche chez dishingtaashe ngena yaji amukula et ninji national me
1: Praise the Lord. Um, definitely. We've even talked to Ko about maybe him and Mommy and me and Dave going to a new village uh, that has no church and starting one together in the years to come. So we'll see. Um, but like Dave mentioned, um, Dave mentioned several ways that the Word of God has really been correcting and confronting uh, Kwakum culture in the lives of Ko and Mommy, For instance, marriage instead of promiscuity. Going through with the wedding, even though there was extreme family pressure not to. Um, also, to um, living separately until marriage. And Ko really loving his wife like Christ loved the church. And these are some of the pressures that are constantly being put on the Kwakum believers. But honestly... Most of the Quakun believers, there's not many, but most of them really are thriving. And why is that? That's because they have an attitude of humility to let the Word of God correct their wrong thinking. Now they're able to understand what God wants. They have the Spirit giving them the power to obey. And yet obedience to Christ comes at a cost. I mentioned before that Mommy's father had been killed by uh, Mommy's stepbrother. Mommy reported what she had seen. She was an eyewitness to what happened, and the stepbrother was sent to prison. The prisons in Cameroon are horrible. Um, The prisoners are treated like animals. They're barely fed. They lack um, just food and clothing. They don't have beds and the the prisoners barely survive and many don't so mommy knew this she knew what was going on with her stepbrother in prison she had heard rumors that he had gotten really really skinny that he was sick and with a new heart now she started to really feel compassion for him and she would talk to me about it and she said you know what stacy i think that if i go care for my stepbrother in prison I'll actually be caring for Jesus Christ himself. And I said, you're right. Let's work together to care for him. And so she decided to regularly visit him, bring him clothes and food. And the problem was is that her compassion for her stepbrother led to her family disowning her because the family of her father looked at this compassion as betrayal. And they saw, they saw that mommy was basically loving the stepbrother more than she loved her, her father who had passed away because of the, the murder. And so as a result, they really cut her off. And here in America, if there's a family member that cuts us off, it really hurts us emotionally. Uh, rarely does it hurt us financially. It could. But over there, it's always, if your family cuts you off over there, you're pretty much destitute. Um, and even at one time um, somebody in mommy's family even tried to hit her with her with his motorcycle he tried to run her down and so here's mommy this new believer seeking to honor the lord and she was really being hated for it and this went on for four years <clears throat> and so how should mommy respond we're going to take this, I'm going to answer that question, but first I want to give you a little bit of an understanding of how people view God um, where we live. So to grow up Kwakum means that you grow up with a very wrong understanding of who God is. You know there's a creator God, but you look at him like you look at one of your spirits. So over there, they believe as in much of Africa, God is just one of one of the spirits that people can manipulate to get what they want. So, you know, if somebody in my family passes away, their ghost is still around me. That ghost is powerful. And so I can manipulate this ghost to basically give me the life that I would like to have. And God is one of those spirits, although he's the most powerful one. And so people believe um, that you basically need to... Um, obey God and do what he says. They don't really know what he says, but to the best of their ability so that they can be healthy and so that they can be wealthy. This is called the prosperity gospel, and it's very prevalent where we live. So God is like a genie, and you need the right words, the right behavior um, in order to get what you want. So our Kwakum co-Bible translators have come into the translation project to work with us with wrong views of God and how God works. But as we've translated through Old Testament stories, it's really, really confronted their understanding of who God is. And one story that we've translated um, is the story of Joseph, which is pictured here. So Joseph, the Bible doesn't say that Joseph sinned in any way. We know he was a sinner, it's true, but um, it doesn't, doesn't say he did anything terribly wrong. Um, he loved, he obeyed his father, he did what his father wanted. Um, his brothers, however, were jealous, and because of that jealousy, you guys know the story, I'm sure, they sold him into slavery, which is horrible suffering, horrible suffering. And as a slave, uh, Joseph honored the Lord, he honored his master, he worked hard, he found favor in their eyes, and the Lord blessed his work. He was promoted, and then his master's wife tries to seduce him, and Joseph could have given in to that because her husband wasn't home, but Joseph remained faithful, he fled temptation, he feared the Lord, and what happened? He was thrown into prison for a very long time. So you can imagine how pe- the Kwakum people heard this story. They said, but he, he ran away from the woman. He fled temptation. He honored his father. How in the world could God have let him go to prison? Um, and the story of Joseph, we taught that the, it shows us that while God does love and protect his children, sometimes God also lets his children be hated by their families and end up in prison. And of course, we know that at the end of the story, Joseph is exalted, but even then he's exalted in order to save the lives of his brothers. So he became a ruler of Egypt so that those who oppressed him could be spared from a famine. And this whole story is so different from the prosperity gospel. As we've translated and taught this story in Kwakum, people have responded by saying, this is not the God that we know. And for some who've heard this teaching, it was foreign, unpleasant, it was rejected. Some people have even become angry. Um, I remember my first term in Cameroon, there was a woman at the market who was older, and she was really suffering physically. And they always tell you about every ache and pain and where it hurts and why, and I didn't really know how to help her, and I just encouraged her by saying, All of our bodies are temporary and they're wasting away, but there's true hope of a resurrection if we obey and if we believe in Christ. And something like that. And the woman looked at me and became irate. And she just said, How could you not promise me health now? How could you not give me hope for now? You're asking me to be essentially future-oriented. And this is how some have responded to the story of Joseph. How does this relate to Ko and Mommy? Last year, Ko and Mommy found out that Mommy was pregnant once again, and they approached this pregnancy somewhat seriously, knowing that they are poor and it would mean another mouth to feed. But nonetheless, they were excited. We talked about if they prefer a boy or a girl. They girl. Talk, we talked about names. They picked out baby clothes, which Mommy was excited to show me. And we took them to medical checkups at the local clinic. And it was a happy time. But near the 39th week of Mommy's pregnancy, she started bleeding and became very concerned. And so we took her to a medical clinic and... Um, it did not go well there. The medical workers neglected her, and they simply don't care for their patients, and they often just treat them very, very poorly. So long story short, after a period of time, um, the nurses said that mommy should go to a neighboring, vill- or a neighboring city in order for them to do a C-section um, because she needed to deliver right away, but the, the baby wasn't coming. By the time we were able to get her to that other town for the C-section and get her examined, the baby had died. Mommy thus endured a C-section where she later told me that they shackled her to the operating table, both her hands and her feet. After that, she had to remain in the clinic for a month, unable to move very much. She told me later that she felt like She had died and was resurrected with all that she went through. And then when she came back to the village too, she couldn't haul water and do the things that she needed to do. Um, It was Dave and Co. and some other men from our village that buried their baby boy next to their house. It was awful. It was awful. I was with her every step of the way, and it was just awful. So in the midst of the suffering, um, Mommy had a choice to make. Would she curse God or would she accept the suffering like Joseph did? Let's take a second to listen what mommy how mommy recalls what happened during this
3: situation. Yaninge opita kila kiboshi bosho amenye papa wao papa wao mguime, e acha amena ni bon bong papa wao mguime yaninge na papa Wamba mbaka begu peeni jinoo, ninge niku tuku, tuku nishamba boshi mam bong ninge na ne shong papa wao mbog katishom ata me chagidi boshi amtanchana kitoi chache shikana in the jet, a shinna a cotta e bosho, bomb shine a bene bum Piaujiko jiko or boom of bambo, bomb fina man, I am fina kikona yakin bani, bomb ye baconi a tangina medina, tonton David. Shambushu Koya Shab on ne money chingy, or Doctor to Boni Bon Bong ninja dan minke saya, minke Ji kini asih bong min tote. Selema ni am senka, so bonek cinci senka, so senjo lo. Eh, ni jenah taki bula we. Ni jenah shampoo yang tuze boh, so pungsa kitor. Eh, aicak ni jenah ya, ni jenah dia bani. Bong ni bong awam pengen pengen we can clap again. <laughs>
1: Only God can explain her reaction. If you didn't catch it, um, the loss of Co and Mommy's child resulted in the restoration of Mommy to her family. After four years of hating her and pursuing her harm, they felt compassion for her, and they began to seek her out again. And she trusted God. She wasn't bitter. She you saw in the video, she welcomed them back with open arms and to the point that just just a couple days before we left to come here, she came over to my house and sat down, and she just said, "I think I understand um, the reason why God um, allowed my baby to die, and I think it was for the good of me being reconciled to my family." Again, I read Second Timothy three sixteen through seventeen. The Bible says that all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be equipped for every good work. The Bible is given to mommy who is a servant of God so that she can be ready to forgive her family just like Joseph was ready to forgive his brothers. That's what the Word of God does. God's Word is powerful, it changes people, it doesn't just change their behavior, but it changes the core of what they believe and who they are.
0: Now, one uh, response you might have as we talk about all these things is to think, wow, the Quakum the culture really needs to be changed by the Word of God. And uh, that's true. Um, in some ways, the Quakum culture needs to be changed in ways that are undeniable to any American would say this needs to be changed. As an example, um, wives are often seen as property of their husbands uh, and treated in some ways like children, including men beating their wives. of was something that coded did, even to mommy when they were um, still boyfriend and girlfriend. Uh, I've even had Kwakum women tell me, no, you have to. You have to beat your wife every once in a while or she won't know who's in charge. So I think we all know, I don't think there's an American who would say, no, I think they might be right about that, right? We all recognize this is something in the culture, the culture, that needs to be changed. But I think there's a temptation to an error here, and that's to think, wow, the Quakum culture needs to be changed, but, but mine's pretty good, you know? Um, but that's not that's just not true. Um, the truth is, um, we're all, if you ask a Kwakum person who has never had an encounter with the Bible about wife beating or about all these other things we've talked about, for them, it's just normal. And you've, you know the illustration of a frog in water. And if you, if you drop a frog in boiling water, it'll just hop out. But if you slowly heat up the water, he just sits there and boils to death. And that's what culture is. It surrounds us. We don't see it. It's like a fish in water. You don't see our culture around us But that culture is constantly pushing on us. It's constantly trying to change us. It's constantly driving us away from God. Um, Because we're living in a fallen world, all cultures try to drive us away from God. And I've found um, that this is true. I found this in Kwakum culture and American culture in two ways. Um, The first way is that culture is, is drawing us, pulling us, pushing us to accept things that God clearly condemns. And then our cultures are also drawing us and pushing us and pulling us to condemn things for which either God is silent or that God approves. Um, in Kwakum culture, um, it's very clear that their culture calls them to accept things that God condemns, especially in the area of sorcery. The people are, are very, very um, enslaved to sorcery, magic. It's not like pull a rabbit out of a hat stuff. It's dark stuff you do in the forest. And if someone gets sick, especially if it's your child, if medicine's not working, you have to take that child to the shaman in order to pursue the health of that child. And if you don't do that, you hate your child. And that's what Kwakum culture is pushing them. And for us, we're like that frog getting dropped in boiling water. Stacy and I, when we're there, we see that and say, no, the Bible says we shouldn't use sorcery. It's clear. But to them, this is just their culture. But we have the same things in our culture and as I've been gone for four years and then come back several people have asked me what are those things in our culture in American culture and some of it it's you guys know because you're Christians and you're changed by the Bible but the Bible isn't silent on sexuality. The Bible speaks very clearly about homosexuality, but our culture is constantly pushing us. God created Adam and Eve as man and woman. It's very clear in the Bible. This isn't something that we need to explore and investigate. It's very clear what God's perspective is on these things, but our culture is telling us, no, what you are saying is bad is actually good, and we have to allow the Word of God to correct that. We have to listen to the Word of God more than we listen to our culture But on the other hand, when I say condemn things for which God is silent, our culture is constantly trying to cause us as a church to be divided over things that either don't matter to God or even things that God approves of. And so the Bible doesn't give us a a Christian diet, um, but but the, the world is telling us you need to eat certain things and you can't eat other things. And telling us that we should be divided over those things. The world is telling us that if you accept vaccines and somebody else rejects them, you can't live together in harmony. That's a a relationship you can't have. The world is telling us that blacks and whites can't be together. They can't be friends. They can't love one another. Our culture wants us to be divided. Our culture wants us to fight about the gray areas and forget about all the areas that are very clear in God's word. And... And the one thing that is very, very clear in the Bible is Jesus said, by this they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. So the world is telling us as a church we have to be divided. The American culture, we have to be divided on these issues. And God is saying, I want you to be united. And I want it to be so clear that you're united that those unbelievers can see that you're Christians because of it. Our culture, just like... Kwakum culture is constantly telling us what's right and wrong, what we should believe, what we shouldn't believe, and it's constantly trying to correct us and to shape us into its own image, into the American culture image. And if we let it, if we approve of what we should reject, and if we reject what we should approve of, if we seek the division, then we're letting Satan win, and we're acting like an unreached people group that doesn't have the word of God. But we have the Word of God, and the Word of God tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And at the end of the day, we need to turn to the Word of God and allow it to correct us. And if, there's, if you think, well, there's nothing in my life or my culture that needs to be corrected by the Word of God, you need to read it more because there are things just like the Kwakum need the word of God to correct their culture, we need it as well. And when we do that, when we, when we let the word of God correct our culture and correct our thoughts and our actions, we will know the joy and the peace that mommy has. It's surprising to see someone so, such a young believer be able to rejoice in the death of a child because she sees how God used it. It's surprising, but not if you know the power of God's word. So my prayer for us as Americans is that we would be like Cohen and Mommy and that we would let God's word change us and that we would worship him the way that they do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that we have access to your word here. I thank you that uh, any of us are able to, to read your word in Bibles that are everywhere or on our phones, even on billboards. You just see your word everywhere, Father. I pray that we would not neglect that. I pray that we would allow your word to change us, that we would allow your word to confront us and rebuke us and correct us. And to, I pray that we would resist that culture that's always pulling at us. And I pray, Father, that we would honor Christ and what we say and what we do and how we treat other believers. And I pray that unbelievers would be able to look at Renew Church and say, there's something different about them because they are seeking unity when the whole world is telling them they should be seeking division. And I pray, Father, that more people here in Modesto would be saved because of their witness. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.